Hey, good morning, everybody. Get a little Christmas music going with me. This is great. This is a great intro for me. Uh, welcome on a Sunday morning, uh, and welcome to to a time of worship. But thank you for the worship team, for the songs, uh, for this Advent time that we get to enter into, for the prayer, and for just a time to focus on what we need to do during this season in order to get our hearts prepared to receive once again our Lord Jesus. So thank you so much for that. Um, Hey, this morning as we're getting started, I wanted to give a quick note around giving. Um, I know you heard that from Andrew just a second ago, but we're also wanting to do a, uh, I wanted to give just a, a brief word on this because we're entering our final month of the year. We've entered December, and some of you noticed on that little slide for, um, for things, it said uh, our deficit's around 129K, which is, you know, it's kind of significant. It's been growing over the last few months, and you may be wondering, uh, what are we doing about that? Um, well, over the history of our church, you know, we've never entered into a year where we've had, um, you know, we've never finished a year in a deficit. We've always relied on the generosity of our mission partners. And so people have given above and beyond in terms of their time, their talent, and their treasures. And, you know, on average in America, most Christians gave around 2 to 3% uh, of their income. And if that's where you are today, it's a great start. It's a good place to be. But God calls us to live generously And when we enter into that generous kind of living, we also get to experience the abundance of God. And so my challenge to you today, my little nudge for December is to think about that and um, learn to to think about generosity with God. One more thing, too, because some of us like to wait till the very last minute. That's very typical of our church community. Um, if you're like that, remember that we don't have a Sunday gathering on December the 26th. So if you show up, we're not going to be here. We're going to have our Christmas Eve service on Friday, December the 24th, and then we're going to go from there. We're going to have a carol sing. It's going to be great. So encourage you to come out, invite your neighbors to that. Um, I think there's something going on with the, the video behind me. I'm not sure. Um, no problem. I can kind of uh, wait a sec, and we'll, we'll get started there. Um, hey, I'm also really looking forward to the picnic today, so if you um, haven't made plans yet and you're a little bit flexible, um, I encourage you to make that part of your Sunday afternoon. I've been going to the park a lot during this pandemic, and it's been great. And, you know, I'm wearing short sleeves on a Sunday in December, you know, it means I'm in Houston. <laughs> it got kind of uh, warm, but I think it's perfect for picnic weather. So, all right. Um, So while that's going on in the back, um, just invite you to to focus now and pray with me. I'll enter into the message anyhow, and then as soon as that gets sorted out, we'll go from there. But let's just pray and ask God uh, to lead us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you so much for this time that we get to worship together, to think about what you bring to us through your son, Jesus, and to remember the gifts that come with that. So we are an expectant people waiting on your kingdom. 
And today as we turn our attention to another Advent story, lead us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, today we're going to be looking at another message in our Advent series. We're basically taking a look at the story of Ezekiel in the, New, in the Old Testament. And um, Ezekiel, I'm... Um, Oh, okay. What is Advent? Advent is a season of waiting, and we're placing our hope in God. That's what our series is about. All right. And so we're entering the story of Ezekiel. And so um, Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament who lived during the time of the exile. And if you're unfamiliar with this time period, we don't often preach from the exilic period a whole lot, but it's a very significant time in the life of the people of God. During this history, it was a very dark spiritual time. There was a lot of bad things going on. So if you're unfamiliar, see, God rescued his people from Egypt. He brought them through the the wilderness experience, and he brought them to the promised land. Now, after hundreds uh, of years, after many generations, uh, as the people grew wealthy, they built up cities and a temple, and they worshiped God, they also began to forget. They forgot God. They forgot his way. They forgot their first love and they began to worship idols instead. So instead of looking to the God who rescued them from slavery and delivered them, they began to look at other gods, including a god named Molech. And uh, Molech is called out several times in the Old Testament because uh, worshiping this idol in particular was hideous. Uh, the Israelites would actually sacrifice their children to this idol. So this, is, this was as bad as it got, really. And God was not pleased. And he called them out on that, and he brought uh, prophets over and over again to remind his people, hey, you're going the wrong way. You need to turn around. But there was a hardness of heart. Their hearts were so turned against God that no matter what he brought their way, they refused to listen. Now, if you can imagine all that happening, including the worship of Molech, you can also imagine that they devolved into the exploitation of widows and orphans and immigrants. Anyone who was vulnerable in their, in their culture was also vulnerable from the leaders of Israel. It was not a safe place to be. And so God brought them destruction. That's the exile. It's a very sad and dark time, and in this painting depiction of it, the Babylonians have come to conquer the Israelites. God allowed this to happen, and people were carried away. Some of their brightest and best were brought to a new land called Babylon, including some of the stories that you'll remember from maybe Sunday school or maybe long ago is Daniel and his friends were brought to Babylon, including Ezekiel, the prophet that we're going to be studying today. So that's the exile period. Now, in the midst of this darkness, something happens. Ezekiel is given a vision. He's given a vision from God that reveals to him the spiritual truth that God is present even in the darkest time, in this very dark hour when the people are being led away from their city. Basically, God gives him these dreams 
And he is sent to remind his people of God. So that's where we're going to pick things up. That's the story we're going to enter today. It's in Ezekiel chapter 37. God brings Ezekiel one day on a vision walk. It's kind of a dream walk. And here are the details. Ezekiel 37 verses 1 through 3. Now the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. So it's a very morbid picture here. So they're going through a valley of dry bones. God leads Ezekiel into this very desolate place. And the, vo- the bones are very dry, as he notices, meaning the state of affairs has been like this for a long time. There's no life, no sign of life. These are dried out bones. And God asks him a question in the midst of this. Son of man, can these bones live? It's a really odd question. Think about it. I mean, see, when God asks us a question, it's not typically because he needs information from us or he's missing input and he needs a little feedback. He's like, Ted, can you tell me what's going on? No, see, God already knows. But when he asks questions of us or of ancient Israelites, it's usually because he is up to something and he wants us to pay attention. He's about to do something in us and he needs us to be mindful of that, or he's about to do something in the world, and he wants us to pay attention. And that's what's going on with Ezekiel in this vision. Now, Ezekiel has been around with God long enough to know when he's being asked this question, he's not being asked the question because God needs input. Sovereign Lord, (laughs) you alone know. It's a very carefully (laughs) worded response because he's the prophet he knows and let's go on ezekiel verses 4 through 14 then he said to me prophesy to these bones and say to them dry bones hear the word of the lord this is what the sovereign lord says to these bones i will make breath enter you and you will come to life And I will attach tendons to you and make you, I'm sorry, I thought, (laughs) I have to look here. Uh, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. And I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on the skin and covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, 
prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And I love this passage. There's so much here. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And you will settle, and I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. So much here. Definitely worth reading again later on this week if you have a chance to go back to Ezekiel 37. We're going to cover some of the details here. But notice this interesting type of healing process that happens with the bones. So God says, prophesy to the bones, and life will come back. And Ezekiel does just exactly that. He prophesies a rattling sound, and these bones begin to link together, bone to bone, joint to joint, flesh begins to come back on them, and they come back together again. But there is something missing. There's no breath. There's no breath yet. And so he notices, and God tells him, to prophesy once again. Prophesy to the breath, son of man. And then all of a sudden, this wind comes from the four corners, from north and from south, from east and west. It all gathers back together, and these bones come to life. There's breath breathing in and breathing out. And, you know, I got to admit, you know, the... (laughs) Two years ago, I didn't appreciate breath like I do now. Getting to preach without a mask on, breathing in and breathing out. These bones come to life, and they're breathing with no masks, and they're getting to receive the life of God. It's so amazing. Now, two critical questions I want to kind of enter into as we uh, unravel this passage. Number one. What's the significance of this two-step healing process? So why did this happen? Um, It's important to note that it does happen, first of all, but this is actually the experience of the Israelites. You see, over the course of time, a miraculous thing happens. The people of God who are in Babylon get to return. God opens a way for them to return. First is a guy named Zerubbabel, you know, Really interesting name. He gets to go back and rebuild the temple. There's a guy named Nehemiah. He gets to go back and build the walls. And so the structure, the bones, the sinews, the joints begin to come together for this nation. 
This is the first part of the revival of the nation. It is totally miraculous. It is the gift of God. But you see, by the time Jesus came, hundreds of years later, there was still a lingering question. Where's the breath? Where's the life? Now, we have this city, we got these walls, we have this temple, but if you look around Israel these days, we don't have anywhere close to the life that we had with God. God is strangely absent. He's kind of quiet. Some of you remember, there's like a 400-year gap period between the Old and New Testament, which very little happens in terms of God speaking and doing anything. People are waiting. They're still thirsty. They're still waiting for that breath to come. So by the time we reach Jesus, there's this expectation, and people are looking to God to bring about revival. When is God actually going to come back and bring life to this nation? When will we experience this? And so when Jesus begins appearing on the scene, they're wondering, are you the one that we should be looking for? Are you the Messiah? We've heard about the promises of God, but we have yet to experience it. And this is Advent, right? It's waiting on God, and this is what the people had to do in Ezekiel's time. Now, number two, another significant question I want to ask here. It's important. Who was this story for? One of the things that is a little strange about the exile period, it's very particular, very peculiar to a people in a certain time in ancient Israel. They blew it. They were worshiping other gods. They really walked far away from their spiritual roots. They forgot God. They were cold. They were abusive to the people around them. And it's very tempting, it's very tempting to think, well, Shame on those ancient Israelites, you know, those, they really blew it, but, you know, that was back then. But when you get to the New Testament, you begin to read through the New Testament, you understand that both Jesus and Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, they saw this passage applying to all of humanity. See, the dry bones isn't just about them. It's about all humans. It's a human problem. It's about you and me as well. The, the problem of dry bones and spiritual deadness comes about here. We see two references to it. Romans 3.23 is a little bit more vague, but definitely Paul has this in mind. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not just ancient Israelites. It's all humans. We've all blown it. We're separated. We don't know God. We're alienated. We're disconnected. We're not close anymore. We're dried up. We don't know God. And then in Ephesians, Paul writes hundreds of years later to these Ephesians, says, you were dead in your trespasses and your sin. You didn't know God either. In a sense, he's saying to them, you're a valley of dry bones too. How can he say that to Ephesians hundreds of years, hundreds of years later? Because the problem isn't just with them. It's with all of us. And we're going to go through that a little bit later today when we talk about application from this passage. There may be some of you here today and your experience with God is, is dryness. 
you may feel like the valley of dry bones is something that you can relate to as well. We'll, we'll talk about that. But let's turn now to Jesus. Because this is all about Advent. It's about the coming of our Lord, about the one who has come to rescue and save us from our sin. There's two passages here in, G- in um, the New Testament I just want to point to. This is the arrival of hope, and this is how Jesus saw his own ministry. He sees it as the fulfillment of this passage of dry bones. He says the Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. There's, there's a little bit of passage going on here. It's a complicated passage about, you know, him talking about communion, actually eating the body and the blood, you know, and people are like, that's it's really gross. And, you know, Jesus is, wants to say, you know, this physical stuff, I mean, it's, it's kind of metaphorical in a way. Don't, don't worry too much about it. But let me tell you this. My words, they're full of spirit and life. And this is directly the fulfillment of Ezekiel. So you got to imagine this. When Jesus was going around telling people these parables about a good Samaritan, about a sower sowing seeds in the word of God, when Jesus was going around healing people who were injured and couldn't walk, when he was doing these moments of teaching, he was breathing the life of God back into the nation. These aren't just words. They're words of life. They're words full of the Spirit. And they are meant to help you experience life in God. And even though there are times when it's very challenging to read Jesus, even though there are moments when you feel like, wow, this is, you know, how can I follow this? It's meant to be with a sense of that God is inserting into your life spirit and new life. Okay, even more significant. John chapter 20. This is kind of a weird passage, right? So some of you may know this. This is after the resurrection. Jesus is with his disciples. And Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. And he said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I, you know, if you've ever read this and you thought, well, it's kind of weird. <laughs> I, I don't want anyone breathing on me. <laughs> Why would Jesus sit there and breathe on his disciples when he's talking about this? But you see, when you read through these things and he, Jesus does something significant, you have to pay attention because he's always full of purpose and intention and he's trying to do something. Jesus isn't random. He's full of intention and purpose. And his breath on his disciples is a literal fulfillment of this Ezekiel dream of hope. You see, in Jesus comes the breath of God. He's breathing life into his disciples. Receive the Holy Spirit. I just love this. You may read this passage now and go, I love this passage now. It was weird, but now I get it. I understand he was bringing life back into these dry bones. So where does that leave you and me today, our hope today? 
Today has been a lot of time in Scripture, maybe a, a little bit more of an obscure passage, but it was on my mind for Advent because it spoke so much about hope. And these days I'm thinking a lot about hope and thinking a lot about what I need from God and thinking about the loss of hope. And maybe some of you are feeling the same thing too. And if that's the case, it's really important for us to sink our teeth, our spiritual teeth, so to speak, into what Jesus is trying to teach us and what Ezekiel is trying to help us learn when it comes to hope. The first application is this. You see, the story of the exile in the Old Testament is not just a story of shame, the story of God's grace. It's super tempting, for me included, when I read through the scriptures and I read about the unfaithfulness of people who worshipped Molech, people who worshipped idols, people who exploited the poor and the immigrants, and they exploited people who were foreigners just because they were so corrupt. I think, well, shame on them. They did a really poor job. It's shameful behavior. But that's not the story of the exile. See, what God wants us to know in books like Ezekiel is this. No matter what our darkest moments are with God, our most broken and shattered experiences, God's grace can meet us there. Son of man, can these dry bones live? Well, according to God's gospel, according to the arrival of Jesus, amen and amen. Yes, we can live. We can be born again. We can have a new life with God. We can receive forgiveness. The story of the exile is a story of God's grace showing up in the darkest hour for Israel. There may be some of you here today and you're new to this whole church thing. You're not really sure about it. You're not really sure if you have a personal relationship with God. And I want to give you the invitation today. When we take the communion elements, when we take the bread and the cup, and we receive these elements today, there's a challenge in here for you. Today could be your first day of faith, of coming to recognize that in Jesus, you can be born again. The dry bones of your soul can receive the forgiveness of God and you can have a new life and begin a new journey with Him if you receive what He has to offer for you. And so when we take of this, I'll have a prayer on the board later today. Follow the prayer, pray the prayer, and come. Take of the elements. This is between you and God. It's not a show for anyone to watch. It's a personal moment, and I invite you to enter in. There may be some of you here, and you've walked for, with God for a long time, but then there may have been a break for you. And maybe something happened along the way. Maybe you've lost something. Maybe something terrible happened. Maybe you're wrestling with the fact that life has become so difficult in recent days, and you're distant from God. It feels like God is hundreds, maybe thousands of miles away. Maybe your prayer life has felt stale, like you can't pray because you're stuck. And I want to invite you as well. 
during this communion time today, come and be revived. Come let the dry bones of your soul be revived by the wind, the breath of the Holy Spirit. Let Jesus breathe his life on you. Receive the Holy Spirit once again. Know that he is with you. Even in that moment, your darkest hour isn't beyond the view of God. There's another thing I want us to think about here. We as a church are meant to be a community of light, a light on a hill in a sense. We're not merely meant to be people who just read our circumstances and are optimistic about it. So if you read through the Bible app this past week, you know that the Bible app made this distinction in our, you know, in our readings between optimism and God's hope. Optimism is looking at our circumstances favorably and just thinking, hey, good things are going to come out of it. The glass is half full rather than half empty. There, there's a time for that. I appreciate optimism. I'm fairly optimistic myself a lot of times. But biblical hope, God's hope, it's a lot deeper than that. It's different from just saying, hey, it's just, it's going to be okay, you know. It's not like that. It's based on the promise that even when things are the worst that can be, even when there is no circumstances to look forward to saying that there is a way, there is a way for it because God has said there is a way. There is a light because God says there is a light. God speaks and shows it. And we're learning to look for that light, not just circumstances. The news, let's be frank, it's terrible these days. There's not much to look forward to. But in God, there is a hope that goes beyond that. You know, years ago, just a personal story, um, you know, I took my, my daughter Emmy to the eye doctor to get her contacts for the first time. And, you know, we, we went on a very busy day. It happened to be a very busy weekend for whatever reason. And, you know, she got measured up. She got, you know, the, the prescription. And they were about to give her her contacts, but it was so busy they couldn't help her. So she sat there and she was trying to do the contact lenses on her own, which how many people here have contacts like I do, right? So they're kind of looking to me to teach her, and I'm trying to sit here and teach her the way to do it, but I don't have the best, I mean, I just kind of just fumble my way through it too, you know? And I remember the first time trying to do it, it was hard. And she was super frustrated. So dad and Emmy went home that day, like, upset. She was upset because she couldn't do it. I was upset that the doctor's office was lame. <laughs> they couldn't help us out. And we're like, come on. And later on that afternoon, I, I still go back to the eye place. It's not that bad. Uh, um, so she comes up to me and she's like, Dad, why can't I do it? And I said, you know, kiddo, you have great reflexes. You know, when you want to... <laughs> put that contact lens in your eye and your finger is in front of it, you want to close your eyes. You have good reflex. That's a good thing. If you didn't have that, all kinds of things would be flying in your eyeballs all day long. That would be really bad, you know, but you have these natural reflexes. But we are learning a new way to do things, to keep your eye open when your finger is there, to stick that contact in. You're going to get it. It'll be fine. Don't worry. Um, 
I share that story because that's really what it's like to live by God's hope. See, the most natural thing for us to do is to look at our circumstances and to think, hey, things are going to be good or they're going to be bad. You listen, you look at the news, and you think, hey, next year going to be like this or not. Well, doing so may be wise. It may be important to do that. I don't advocate not knowing what's going on. But you can maintain a sense of hopefulness apart from that because you know God. And that's what God has called us to as access, as a people of hope. To approach the God of hope, to know his joy and his peace, and to know overflowing hope because that's who God calls us to be. That's the gift of God. Not to learn to live just by reflexes, but to live by this sense of hope that is found in Jesus Christ. So as we wrap up today, I'm going to give us some time to just pray and to come before the Lord. You can follow along on the slides, and then you can pray with us as we do so. And let me, let me turn with turn you to our attention, sorry. Let me turn our attention to the communion elements, and let's, let's do this. Today's sacrament of communion, let's be an opportunity for you to pray and connect with God. Let's read this together. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this, whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let's take this moment to examine ourselves. And when you're ready, please come up. And as promised, hear words to the prayer. If this is new for you and you don't have a personal connection with Jesus, take this time to pray. He loves you. He invites you. Let this be your time.
Hey, pray with me. God, thank you for this moment that we can have with you to receive the body and blood, to remember again that we are here not on the basis of our own righteousness, our own works, our own worthiness, or the works that we've accomplished, but because of the grace that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Shepherd, our friend, the one who revives us from the dead. We thank you for the gift of life. In his name we pray, amen. Hey, if you pray that prayer today with uh, on the board, be sure to tell someone. You can email me or some of the staff or maybe talk to a parent, whoever you want to. Uh, be sure to connect with someone over it. 
and um, amen. Also, uh, today we're going to be having our picnic, so we're going to kind of move on out of here uh, and get ready for that. Um, if you're looking for directions, maybe some of the folks in the lobby can help you out. Uh, we're also going to have practice in here for our youth orchestra. So if you're a part of that, I invite you to get ready for that. And next week, come bring your friends. We're, uh, we're going to have a, a wonderful musical celebration with God. All right? Hey, let's stand together. And let's pray. Loving God through all our years. Let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we can envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. And may your spirit guide us toward joy and generosity. In Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus, amen. All right. Hey, we'll see you at the park.